Grab your Bibles and open up to the book of Genesis, chapter 4. The book of Genesis, chapter 4. The new series is called Running with the Giants. It takes us through the Old Testament. However, we're using the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11, as our guide. And uh, last week we talked about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. And uh, this morning we talk about Cain and Abel. So uh, Adam and Eve have the first baby. Everybody say, aww. The first baby that's ever been born. But his name was Cain, so it's almost like a little more like, oh, it's Cain. And then Abel, and, and the question for the morning with Cain and Abel is this. This is it. This is the, the question that defines the entire message. Are you ready? How can I find favor in God's presence? Let me ask it again. How can I find favor in God's presence here and forever? That's really what the story of Cain and Abel illustrates. Cain is a negative example of how it'll never happen. And Abel is a positive example of the only way that it can happen. And this morning, as we see Abel's example, we'll learn how we can find favor in God's presence. Let's pray, and then we'll hear from the Word of God. Lord, we do thank you for the Old Testament and all the amazing stories that it contains. Lord, my prayer is that as this familiar story is told once again, that it would, Lord, hit home. My prayer is that you would teach us from this story, that you would help us to see ourselves in need of entrance into your presence and help us to know how we can be granted that access and even more how we can find favor. Lord, our prayer is that your word would go forth this morning and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Genesis Chapter 4. Are you there? Genesis chapter 4. It says this, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. How cute is that? The first mommy on the planet holding the first baby on the planet. It's adorable, right? Oh, for the first time. And, And it says here, she said, this is funny, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So something started way back when. I mean, when, when, she's, when her water broke, she was like, Adam, get out of here. Get away from me. And she said, I brought forth a man with the help of the Lord. She had to cry out to the Lord, right, to give birth. And uh, this is not recorded in Scripture, but then when Adam assembled the world's first crib, he cried out to the Lord too. Some of you have never assembled cribs, I can gather from your reaction. I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord, she said. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now they got two boys. It begins to differentiate between them. It says, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, Cain a worker of the ground. All right, now there's nothing innately bad about either of their occupations. You know, some might think, oh, well, because Abel was a shepherd, God really has a thing for shepherds, so God must have liked him more. No, it doesn't matter. Just the fact that Cain worked the field, he... You know, God commanded the people, you know, to to work the field, Adam and Eve. And so he was just following in Adam's footsteps. Nothing wrong with the job. But in verse 3, it says this. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. We just kind of notice here that it says in the course of time. And it says just an offering. Nothing really described about it. Nothing really noteworthy. It's just an offering. But in verse 4 it says, And Abel also brought, but get this, of the firstborn of his flock. So Abel grabbed from the first that came out, and, and Abel was, of course, dependent 
on that for his own livelihood. But, you know, he brought the first. And it says he brought of their, their fat portions. What does that mean? Well, these are the more uh, valuable portions. And later in the Old Testament law, God would see these as more valuable to him than other uh, portions. And so he didn't just bring from the first. He brought from the best of the first. We begin to see a difference. In the course of time, Cain just brought something. Abel brought something better because it was the best of the first. And they brought it right to God. How interesting would that be if like, you brought your offering and it was like right to God, like he's right there, and then you step back. Would you be intimidated if like this morning our only usher on duty was God? He's just walking around with the bag like this. And then you put it right in God's hand and then he just kind of peeked in there. And no pressure! Wow, they could just walk right up to him and be like, here, I prepared this for you. And Cain had the fruit and, and Abel had the meat. And then they kind of stepped back. Very interesting. And it goes on to say in verse 4, And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. No regard. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. The word regard means to gaze upon with favor. The word no regard means to not even look at. God looked at Abel with favor and looked upon his offering with favor and God didn't even look at Cain. Now this illustrates something in the New Testament. Here's the question that it asks. The first question is, how can I approach God? All right, well, Cain and Abel, is he? they can just walk right up. Hello? Here you go. But we can't do that. So how do we do that? How do we even get into God's presence? And the New Testament author in the book of Hebrews uses this as a portrait of our need for salvation. Um, Check out Hebrews 11.4. We'll put it up on the screen. But here's what it says. You don't need to turn there. It says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. All right, question. How can I approach God? Two-word answer, the first two words of that verse. Go ahead and say it. By faith. Why did God find faith? Okay, God saw the fruit. It wasn't the, he didn't bring from the first. He didn't really bring the best, a little rotten, you know. He saw Abel. He saw the meat. It was the best. It was the first. But looking past that, do you know what God saw? It was in the heart that he saw faith and devotion in Abel, and he saw lack of faith, faithlessness, and sin lurk, lurking in the heart of Cain. Because of that, it was by faith that Abel's offering was received. You have to understand this. It wasn't the offering that made him righteous. It was the faith that showed up in the offering. How were people saved in the Old Testament? Oh, well, they had a lot of work to do. They had to do all these rituals and they had to follow the Ten Commandments. No, no, no. How were they saved in the Old Testament? Say it. By faith. Just like in the New. Okay. This illustrates something for you. If you want to get into God's presence, there's an initial point in every human's life where you have to gain entrance. You can't just walk up to Him, so how do I get there? Well, the Scripture basically describes us as separated from God. So imagine like God's there, 
And then, and then there's like a wall that's longer than and higher than and thicker than like the Great Wall of China. And then, and then imagine after the wall, there's like, there's like a mountain. And then imagine like after the mountain, there's like a canyon bigger than the Grand Canyon. And then even imagine after that, there's like this ocean. And so here you are, and, and you can't even catch a glimpse of God's presence because He's so far away from each one of us. Question, how, how can I even approach God? Ephesians 2, 12-13, we'll put it on the screen, says, remember that you were at that time, meaning before Christ, separated from Christ. Listen, separated. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope, listen, without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once, what does it say there? Far off! I can't even see Him. Have been brought near. What what brings you? What brings you into the presence of the Lord? It says, by the blood of Christ. It's by the blood of Christ. Faith in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Christ is the only hope we have of finding favor in God's presence. You can jot this down. How can I approach God? Well, I'll never be accepted by routine, by ritual, or by comparison, only by faith. Never by routine. Many of us assume, well, I'm a church goer, and I got pretty good attendance record. I'm, I'm a routine attender, and so maybe God is going to accept me based on the routine. Okay, but that's not the way it works. Just showing up is not at all going to do it. I've heard it said that being in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. Well, I'm here. Uh, It doesn't really make you anything that you're here. Never by routine, never by ritual. Ritual meaning I completed several steps. I did some classes. As if salvation is like God checks your chore chart for how many gold stickers you got there. And he's like, I counted them up. Or maybe you went to Awana growing up, and God like examines your vest. And he's like, oh, you got just enough badges to get in. Like, that ain't the way it works. It's not by routine. It's not by ritual. And here, this is the one that sunk Cain. It's not by comparison. It's not. But he was obsessed with Abel. Forget about my heart. I'm, I'm, my eyes are fixed like daggers on him. He's the problem. If he wasn't around, maybe God would accept me. Comparison. Comparison is a fatal assumption. It's the assumption that as long as I'm better than somebody else, God will accept me. I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm doing a better job than my brother. I'm, by comparison, hoping God will give me favor in his presence. But it's not by routine, not by ritual, not by comparison. It's only by faith. How can I approach God? Well, your initial access only comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And ask yourself this, is there a time in your past when when that distance was closed and God welcomed you into His presence because you expressed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the only way we can approach. All right. Now this story also illustrates not just gaining access into God's presence, but once we're there, it also illustrates how a believer can show faithful devotion to the Lord. So 
reading on, this is just from a different angle, kind of the same verses. The second question is, what should I bring to God? Okay, I'm there. What should I bring? So we started talking about the initial access, and now we've got the ongoing show of devotion. So let's look at it from this angle. In verse 4, And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. Notice that Abel brought the best for God. But Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Why? Cain reserved the best for Cain. Because Cain wasn't as devoted to God as he was to Cain. So when God called him on it, Cain was very angry and his face fell. Hey, what does God want me to bring into his presence? What does he want me to have there? Well, jot this down. I must volunteer my very best to God. God looks upon what I bring him and makes a value judgment of my faith based on my offering and my sacrifice. What should I bring God? Well, we should bring our very best. Cain did not bring his very best, and that's why when God called him on it and expected more, he was very angry. Hey, check this out. I found a picture of a baby that's very angry. Look at this. That's the look Cain gave to God. When God's like, this, this is it, and Cain gave him an angry face. It was as if, with a look, and, and we know how to communicate with looks, right? Parents, don't we have the look? when we're out in public and our kids need to stop it, we give them the look. Oh, and our kids give looks to us, right? The eye roll. and the eye. We communicate a lot with a look. Well, God gave Cain a look, and Cain gave God a look back, and he was angry. Why? Because basically Cain showed up, and he was like, there, I did it. I'm here. And God's like, that's it? It was as if, it was as if, pretend this, pretend husbands that it's your wedding anniversary, and pretend that you went to Walgreens in advance, and you picked out the card, and you, and you brought it home, and, and then on the morning of your wedding anniversary, you put it on the table. You didn't put it in the envelope, and you didn't write anything on it, but you got it. Now, what's your wife going to say when she wakes up and comes downstairs and picks up the card? She's going to say what? You, you, didn't, you didn't even write in it? To which you would reply, well, I bought the card. Hallmark already wrote, wrote something in there. What more do you want from me? Yeah, try that out and let's see how good that goes, right? Or at your, at your child's next birthday, buy the cake and put their name on it and then lay it out and then put the candles on it and then light the candles and then walk away. What's going to happen? Right? What's your child going to say? You're going to sing? I bought the cake, I put your name on it, I lit the candles, what more do you want from me? Now in each case what you have is someone, get this, someone stopping short of showing love and devotion to the person. They did a little, but it wasn't enough, and they knew it. Cain knew it, there was something broken in his relationship with God, things weren't good with God. It showed in the lack of effort. He stopped short. God wouldn't even look upon him. 
hey, what should I bring to God? Let's talk about ongoing devotion as I come to church, as we you know, enter the Lord's presence together. Ask yourself this, how, how do I worship Christ? Am I bringing my very best in worship? Do you know that we believe here at Harvest that church is for God and not for you? You know we believe that? That what we come and we do here is all an offering. Your singing is all for God. All right, if you walk out and you're like, wow, that song, I really loved it. It made me feel great. Okay, awesome, but how did your worship make God feel? Better question. Um, church is all for God. We, we bring him open hearts, attentive to his word. We bring him, it doesn't matter how I felt about the sermon. It's did I hear from God because my ears were open and his book, which is sharper than any double-edged sword. Listen, if the book doesn't penetrate, it's not because it's dull. Because we got all this body armor on and we're not letting it in. How can I approach God? Well, it's only by faith in Christ. What should I bring when I get there? Well, I've got to volunteer my very best and it should show up in worship. God wants us to love Him with all of our mind and all of our heart, all of our strength. And Christ looks down and we sing and He notices if we're stopping short of expressing true faithful devotion. He knows it. Okay, and how do I work for Christ? Hey, He sees my commitment and He sees the attitude I bring in the area of ministry that I'm serving in. Ask yourself this, I mean, first, are you even serving on a ministry team? Or are you expecting just to be served by other Christians here? But when you work for Christ, he sees the commitment, he sees the attitude. And we need to volunteer our very best to the Lord. And it is the, the best that gets volunteered. Uh, we had one, one woman who, they're no longer at this church, but uh, she was in our children's ministry as a teacher, and she always showed up late, always. And I don't just mean late to the meeting, I mean like five minutes after church starts, she walked in. And then she would get her binder open and start her preparation right then and there. Not throughout the week, right there. So we called her and we had a loving conversation. We said, hey, um, you're coming late and you're not really prepared and we feel like you should volunteer your very best to the Lord. Can, can, we, can we work on that this week? And her response was very interesting. She said, well, I've been coming late for a long time. Why is it such a problem now? Where do I begin? <laughs> um, they're no longer here. But uh, that would be an example of how not to work for Christ. Now, there's another man in our church who, when he got the date for our men's leadership retreat this fall, looked at his calendar and saw that he had planned a vacation for that weekend. Canceled the trip. Canceled the trip because he didn't want to fall behind. He's a leader in our church. He wanted to be there. For... Wow! What an amazing thing to do. He almost didn't even tell anybody. It kind of slipped out against his will. And we were like, wow, what an amazing attitude you have toward Christ. Hey, are you volunteering your very best? Does Christ look and see? Does he see the best of the first of your time and your tithes and your, your effort? And is that really what we bring? He cares. He cares deeply. And he knows all right, so, so far we see that Cain brought a wrong heart because he had established a wrong relationship with God. He was not faithful. The problem, therefore, wasn't, get this, the problem wasn't that God loved Abel more than Cain. The problem was that Cain loved Cain more than God. 
and that Cain hated Abel. Reading on. The next question is, okay, how do I get into the Lord's presence, faith in Christ? What, what should I bring? And then here's Cain as a negative example. What keeps me from the Lord's presence? Verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? What is the Lord's heart toward Cain? He wants him to be accepted. He wants him to find favor in God's presence. But he, Cain has to do well. He has to do what the Lord expects. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. He looked into his heart. He saw that sin was going to keep him from the Lord's presence. He said, listen, it's crouching at your door. You walk out of here and it's going to take you down. This is the Old Testament equivalent of when Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat tonight. Peter didn't take the warning. Cain didn't take the warning. This is a loving rebuke. This is a loving warning from a heavenly father who wants Cain to be accepted. This is your wake-up call. This is your 911 call. This is the fire alarm. Sin is right there. and He means Satan. This is, this is going to knock you out. Cain did not receive it. What keeps me from the Lord's presence? Reading on. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. When they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. First recorded murder in the Bible. Then the Lord said to Cain, we learn a lot from God right now. We're about to learn a lot about the nature of God and the nature of man. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Hey, what keeps me from the Lord's presence? Cain is now a negative example. What does it look like to have no faith and no devotion to the Lord? Well, what we observe here is this. He rejected God's warning. The word of God that came directly from his lips. He rejected it. He also let anger fester in his heart because envy for his brother was out of control. Anger. He also held a grudge close to his chest and he threw the warning from God out of his thinking and then he committed a violent, bloody murder at the person who he hated. Then what did he do? Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. What would that be called? I don't know. He told a lie. He hid it. Or he tried to hide it. Then he asked a rhetorical question to absolve himself of the blame and shift it onto God. Am I my brother's keeper? I don't know. Am I the one who's responsible for him? In other words, you are. Maybe you should have done a better job of watching over your precious Abel. I'm not responsible for him. What a defiant attitude. What a hardened, angry heart. He talks back. He shows no remorse. This is what it looks like to have no faith 
and no devotion to the Lord. He lies. We learn about God here. God says, did God already know the answer to this question? God says, where's your brother Abel? Did God already know the answer to that? Why did he ask it? Where's your brother Abel? Because he wants Cain to give an account for his actions, right? We learn something about God. God is going to hold each one of us morally responsible for our choices. And in the heart of every human is an outcry for justice. We hate it when people get away with things. Hate it. Three letters for you. You ready? NFL. Did you watch Monday Night Football? How many of you saw the game? Okay, what happened? What happened? The, the last play of the game, the Seahawks were playing against, I don't know, some team. I didn't remember. Some te- the Green Bay Packers. And the Packers, the Seahawks, needed this touchdown. And so, of course, the NFL has had replacement refs since the beginning of the season. And they were under intense scrutiny, right? So what happens is the Seahawks, they throw the bomb, and it gets to the end zone. And literally, I'll be honest here, the Seahawks player, like, drop-kicked one of the Green Bay defenders out of the way. Like, bam! So that he could jump up and catch the ball. All right? Should have been a penalty. And then, like, four people go up, and it appears like a Green Bay Packer intercepted the ball. Well, they landed on the ground, and they gave it, to the Seahawks, and the Seahawks won. And the Green Bay Packers, unfortunately, then sunk to a 1-2 and two record. And there was outrage. Outrage. Why? Because no one was holding the player accountable for their actions. And then, no one was holding the referees accountable for their actions. It was wrong. Bear fans would say it was a miracle. What, you don't believe in miracles? It was national outrage, okay? And honestly, every fan is like, that could be us next week, let's get the deal done. Why? Because we feel outrage when we see people getting away with wrong. We feel that because we know that there's an overarching moral God, an overarching moral reality that all of us are accountable to. But we don't like it when the camera turns on us, right? We don't like it when we understand that God is going to hold us morally accountable for every one of our choices in this life. Okay, and he's got cameras everywhere. Tom, your name's going to be called, brother. Your name's going to be called. You're going to be called up in front of the Lord. Louis, your turn. And up you come. He's not going to say, where's your brother Abel? But there's going to be questions. And if you even say, well, I didn't do that. Okay, let's pull it up on the screen, angels. Let's get it. You want to see it from another angle? Oh, you can't hear where? Let's let's get the sound quality up. Okay, good. All right, let's move on to item number 8,379,654. We're all going to be held morally responsible and accountable for our actions. We learn that about God here when he says, Where is your brother, Abel? Where is he? We also learn that we cannot hide our sin from God ever. We can't hide it. We can try, but it won't work. I read a story this week. The headline read, Crocodile gets loose on an airplane. It's a true story. 
A Qantas Airways baggage handler got a huge surprise when he discovered a real live crocodile loose in the baggage area of the plane after it landed. The crocodile apparently broke free from its plastic cage. <laughs> yeah, that looks good. Let's send that on through. You want to just put tag on it. All right. Whoop. You got to pay the $20 fee for that one. Broke free of its plastic cage and roamed through the plane's cargo hold throughout the flight until unsuspecting baggage handlers discovered the reptile while unloading the luggage upon landing. And you'd think you got a bad job. The animal was quickly and safely somehow secured. Uh, <laughs> okay, trying to hide your sin in this life is like trying to get a crocodile transported in a plastic cage. Okay, it's getting out. All sin is going to get out. And it's eventually going to come to light and God's going to hold you accountable for it. You can't hide it. You can't contain it. What keeps me from the Lord's presence? I'm going to be morally held accountable for my choices. I can't hide it from God, so jot this down. I must fully repent of my sins. God was giving Cain a chance to repent here. Okay, He had a shot. If he didn't have a shot, God could have just taken him out. I know what you... He's done this before, Ananias and Sapphira. I saw what you did. Lightning. You're gone. Why did he ask? Because he longs to show mercy. He longs to forgive. And Cain had a chance to repent. Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. The cry for vengeance. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall, here's the relational consequences of his sin and his attitude. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. How does Cain respond? Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face, I shall be hidden. I, sh me, I, me, I. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Did Cain fully repent of his sins? No. Okay, so what do we find here? We find an example of how we can repeat Cain's failure and be unrepentant and not be accepted in God's presence. Here's what it looks like. I'm not repentant if, you can jot these down, I'm evasive about the truth. I'm evasive about the truth. I'm hiding it. I'm not even sharing what I'm really doing. It's all hidden in darkness, and I think I've got it all contained in my little plastic. I'm ev ev evasive about the truth, and I'm not sharing the whole story. If you're hiding it, you're not repenting of it. Next, I'm indifferent about my actions. Okay, maybe it came out. Maybe I got caught. I don't know. Maybe it just came out. And you know what? What's the big deal? Have you talked to this person before? It comes out. You start asking them about it. What do they say? What are you getting so worked up over? What are you so upset about? You're really the one who's freaking out here because I don't see any big deal with what I did. If I'm downplaying it or I'm indifferent about my actions, I'm not repentant. Next, I'm trying to protect my reputation. My reputation. Well, other people are going to find out. They're going to be mad at me. 
God, my social life is really about to change because of what you're doing. So often when people get caught up in sin and they're not repentant, they think the problem is how you're responding to the problem. I can't believe you talked to me that way. I, you told that person this was supposed to be a private sin. I was doing a good job of hiding it. And now you're telling people? How dare you? This is not a repentant person. I'm protecting my reputation. I'm indifferent about my actions. I'm evasive about the truth. Also, I'm resisting accountability. Jot that down. I'm resisting accountability. You come and try and talk to me. And guess what? Force fields go up. Back off. Who are you to ask me? It says, it says you shouldn't judge in Scripture. Who are you to judge me? Force fields are up, and basically they're saying, back off. Get out of my business. That person is not repentant. I'm resisting accountability. Finally, I'm filled with self-pity. I'm filled with self-pity. My son, Jared, got in trouble. He gets in trouble a lot. He's, he's young. and uh, so, so he got in trouble and he got a spanking because we do that in our house because it works. <clears throat> and after he got a spanking and he got put in his bedroom, I said, okay, you can come out now. And he walks out and the first thing he says is, now my butt hurts. How selfish and self-centered. I'm filled with self-pity, but this is how grown-ups react. This really made my life harder. Boy, the fact that you confronted me about the fact that this came out, the fact that you're responding to this is really complicating my life. Self-pity. My sin hurt me. It's the most selfish way to respond to sin, and it's not repentance. My sin hurt me. What about how my sin hurt others? There's a body in the ground. What about how my sin hurt God? No, my sin hurt me. I'm not repentant if my heart is filled with these reactions. So to summarize so far, if I approach God by faith, full of devotion and sacrifice and gratitude, with an upright heart, God will receive me with favor. But if I approach God routinely, full of ingratitude, selfishness, resentment, and anger, God will reject me. Really, all of this is meant to teach us. You see, God is sending a message here through Cain and Abel that we're supposed to receive. What does he do? He holds Cain accountable for his actions. He will hold you accountable for your actions and me. He gives us a chance to repent. He'll only receive us by faith in Christ if we repent. And if we don't, He will drive us from His presence forever. It says here in verse 15, Then the Lord said to him, Not so, meaning, No, I'm not going to let other people kill you. I'm going to hold them responsible too. Not so, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. You're not the only... Isn't this sometimes kids are like, you're being unfair. You're only looking at my actions when she did it too. No, I'm holding everyone equally accountable. Blame, blame, blame. Lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Hey, notice that the mark was a mark of mercy and protection. Notice that Cain... though he did not find favor in the presence of the Lord, was marked with a mark of protection so no one would kill him. God's giving him time 
One of the attributes of God is patience. He's being patient with you, willing that none should perish, but that all should. Man, God wants everyone to be saved. He wants everyone to come to repentance. He's being patient with the sinner. What grace he showed. He could have sent a message. He could have said, you're going down. And he did. He sent a message, but it was a different one. It was a message of grace. You're out of my presence, but you won't be killed. And as a restless wanderer, God made this sinful man live out the consequences, hoping for a day of repentance that would not come. Hey, ask yourself this. Have you found favor in God's presence? Our sin separates from us from God, but God longs to show mercy. And the Bible is clear. The story of Cain and Abel in one sense is supposed to show us that eternally there will only be two lines leading off into forever. And one line is going to be filled with those who have already been granted access into God's presence through faith in Christ, who will find that presence enjoyable forever. And the other line is filled with people who have not repented of their sins and they are far, far away from God. The Bible in the book of Jude says those people are following the way of Cain. It's like the road you're on has the name of Cain over it. It's a catch-all term. But it's especially applied to those who appear to be believers, but who are just routinely, by ritual, going through the motions. Hey, this should be a convicting truth. You are standing in one of only two lines right now. And that line is leading you to an irreversible eternity, either in the presence of God or under the wrath of God. You're in one of those lines right now. God could separate the room up if he wanted to, and one day he will. It's called the sheep and the goat judgment. You go here, you go here. You folks depart into my happiness forever, and those of you over here, do you know what he says to them? You know the last thing people hear before they go off into eternal torment? I never knew you. I never knew you. And off they go. It's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that will gain you favor in God's presence, and it's the only way. We had family devotion time last night in our house. We were going through the children's ministry curriculum from Harvest here, and it just so happened to be on Revelation 20, talking about the judgment of God. And So I had my Bible open, and I was like, kids, there's two books that are going to determine where you spend eternity. The first book is the book that's filled with your sins, and everyone's got a book. And it's a big book, right, Jared? It's a big book. And no one gets into heaven according to the things written in that book. Nobody. I said, but then there's another book. It's a better book. It's an amazing book. And I said, it's funny. I said, and guess what book that is? And my daughter Ellie said, Vertical Church. <laughs> I was like, no, no. That book is called, <laughs> it's called The Lamb's Book of Life. And I said, it's the book filled with all of the names that have been written in heaven by faith in Christ. The book has Jesus' name on it. He's the Lamb of God. The author of Hebrews is very worried for his audience that was primarily Jewish. So many were planning to come into the presence of God and they only had the Old Testament offerings of Moses. I've got my sheep. 
I've got my fruit, and I've got... And they didn't see that Christ was the sacrificial lamb of the world. They were leaving that sacrifice out. They didn't have faith in Him. And He did not want His audience that was religious to follow the way of Cain and fail to bring the best offering, the one that God will receive. He wanted them to only come into the presence of the Lord by the sacrifice of Christ. This is our only hope too. Hebrews 7.25 is on the screen. It says this, Consequently, He, Jesus, is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Let me close by asking you a simple question. Which line are you standing in right now? Is God, do you know that because of your faith in Christ, that God is looking upon you with favor right now, that His gaze is on you, that you'll enjoy His presence forever? Or do you sadly feel like God isn't even looking at you? Do you feel like now it's becoming so clear that though you hoped He had been with you in life, though you prayed He had been with you in life, He just simply has not been in your life because you have not had faith in Christ? Is it time right here and right now to cross over that vast distance that has been placed between you and God and by faith to be received and to find favor in God's presence? You can call out by faith right now. You can ask for forgiveness for your sins right now. By faith, you can enter into the Lord's presence right now and He will never forsake you. Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes and pray. And I want to give you a chance to perhaps for the first time put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, how clear it is that you want us to find favor in your presence. Lord, the mercy and the grace you showed Cain is the mercy and the grace you show us. Father, I, I know there are some in this room right here this morning. They needed a fatherly warning, a word of exhortation from you. They needed you to look into their life and to say it's only faith that will get you into my presence. Lord, in each one of our lives, sin has lurked at the door. Sin has overcome us. Sin has has killed us. But Lord, by faith, if we repent of our sins, we believe in the Lord Jesus, we gain access. I pray for those who are ready. Pray for those who are ready right now to follow in the way of Abel. May they pray along with me in their hearts saying, Heavenly Father, I confess I am sinful, guilty as charged. And I deserve to be put away from you forever. A restless wanderer, never seeing your face again. But here and now, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe he rose again. It's by his sacrifice that I ask permission to enter your presence. Father, bring me into your holy presence and never drive me away. Teach me to honor and please you each week. Teach me. Teach me to honor you. My worship. 
my service. And give me the hope that I will spend eternity with you. Not because of my works, because of my faith. Lord, for those who pray that this morning, fill their hearts with the knowledge that you have torn the curtain in two. You have opened up the way that had been closed before. By the blood of Christ, you will never leave us and never forsake us. Give them hope that that is true for them. Father, for the saints who are trying to run one more lap this week, give us endurance knowing that we have access into your holy presence and we will be with you forever. We have been made righteous through faith in Christ. Though the world persecutes us, you look upon us with favor. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.